Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt. Als wär's sein Rhythmus, als gäb's sein Lied, das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht. Komm dir entgegen. Hallo und willkommen zu Gegenpressing, the Bundesliga Podcast. I'm Manu Fate, he's Stefan Bianchowski. Stefan, first of all, how are you doing? Um, although I probably know the answer, you're probably just as stressed as me. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we are currently in the thick of it as we approach the finish line of the January transfer window. The, the finish line is on the horizon, I can see glimmers of it, but right now we're still in the thick of it. Bombs going off around us. Mm. Um, it's It's crazy. And with every passing moment, there's a new Enzo Fernandez story. Uh, but we are in a safe space right now. We are in a safe Bundesliga space where clubs don't spend obscene amount of money on players who are worth 14 million euros six months ago. Um, we're in a safer, smarter, more comfortable setting. And this is I feel like this is going to be a, like a nice sanctuary from the absolute mayhem of the January transfer window. Yeah, it's like... Uh... It's like a bunker, right? It's like the bunker in Cologne, the VER bunker. That's where we're in currently. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's Away from all the noise. <laughs> wow, there's a lot of uh, Cologne uh, jerseys and posters around here. Who would have thought? <laughs> <laughs> oh, do I do I sense a hint here of uh, maybe Cologne Cologne biased? Um, no. Yeah. <laughs> There's a voodoo doll in the corner with a Leverkusen top on it. <laughs> oh no, it is. Ah, that's um, never thought. Never thought that I, an office in Köln could look like this. Um, although I've been guaranteed by the DFL that everyone working by the DF, for the DFL has to be neutral. Interesting. Mm. Yeah, apparently that's part of the uh, contract design. Anyhow. Um, <laughs> It's not a completely transfer-free show, Stefan. Um, we do have mm. one particular transfer to discuss, and we have a couple of really big results to discuss. So we should probably jump into it right after this break. This episode of the Gig Pressing Podcast is brought to you by Bet Online. Bet Online remains your number one source for all your sports betting this season. Everything from NFL playoffs to pro and college basketball, UFC, MMA, and much more. You always find the latest odds, team matchup info, player news, and game trends at Bet Online. With live betting options, free contests, and live scores for almost any sport or game imaginable, Bet Online is truly the fastest and easiest way to bet all your favorite leagues and events. Head to the website today and use your mobile device to join and receive your 50% welcome bonus with your first deposit. Make sure to use the promo code BELIEF, that is Believe, B-L-E-A-V, believe, to receive your fir first reward. Bet online AG, where the game starts. So um, I was thinking we should probably start with the the the, the, the Friday game real quickly here. Um, don't want to dwell on it a ton because it, it was an unexpected result. It's more of a 
precursor on what it set it up for, for us on the weekend, right? For the Saturday-Sunday games. Leipzig easily beat mm. Stuttgart 2-1. I mean, Stuttgart make it interesting late, but um, let's be honest here. I don't think anyone ever really thought that this was in doubt. And because of that, the table all of a sudden looked extremely tight with Leipzig going all the way to uh, two points to, to Bayern Munich. Then on the weekend, Stefan, you had um, Union Berlin also expectedly beat Hertha in, in the derby. Um, that hmm. causes a whole cascade. I had my dad phone me on Sunday and said, we're well, probably never going to get a sport director on gegenpressing again because they're going to get fired shortly after. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we're going to be a curse to sporting directors around the country. Yeah, Freddie Bobic getting fired as a result of the Berlin derby result. Um <laughs> I actually urge you to listen to that gegenpressing interview because I think you get quite a lot of insight of maybe what has gone wrong for, mm. for, for Freddie Bobic or what's gone wrong at Hertha Berlin in general. Um, I thought that the insight was, was quite important, actually. Um, but here we are. Uh, that result, too, though, um, maybe not too much dwell on, on Freddie Bobic. It is interesting, and we'll see what's going to happen next, and we're going to keep an eye on that, of course. But that mean, meant that all of a sudden Union Berlin were even on points with Bayern, right? Um, mm. And then you had Frankfurt, of course, who could have also really closed the gap to Bayern Munich to, I guess, just one point as well if they had beaten Bayern Munich. In the end, they don't. Um, it's a 1-1 draw. In what I thought personally was a, a fascinating game, Stefan, because they go, they go by uh, Bayern Munich score first, right? To take mm. the lead. You think that they from then on they're going to cruise, but instead, Kolumani with a fantastic finish once again. Um, it's unbelievable that Frankfurt did end up getting him on a free transfer. He's probably turning. He's already turning out to maybe be the signing of of the the season for any club in the Bundesliga. And then you know I don't know how you saw it, but. I thought this was a high-paced game um, where Bayern Munich, of course, had the majority of possession. Frankfurt quite happy with that, though. And I think if they're a bit more clinical, Frankfurt that is on, on the counter, they mm. maybe they might have thought that we should have maybe won this game. Um, how did you see it all? Yeah, it was a, it was a fantastic game. I really enjoyed it. Um, I actually thought it felt like two very evenly kind of stacked teams and it reminded me a lot of the Leipzig game actually it was far more entertaining than the Leipzig game but it really felt to me like you know obviously Bayern Munich have dropped down a level and potentially Leipzig and Frankfurt have both stepped up a level and it's now meant that these teams are kind of on a par um, I thought as I was watching the game um, and I was literally about to tweet this but then Bayern Munich went on and scored and I thought it was probably no point blowing their trumpet just now, but the way that Frankfurt closed Bayern down and the way they did it as a team with that team press, it actually made me think, and we've kind of talked about this in the show before actually, about how this Frankfurt side and the way they play under, under Oliver Glasner and the type of players that they have really makes me, this is the team that really reminds me of Jurgen Klopp's Dortmund side in the sense that, you know, they've obviously got some really talented technical players um, but it's, it's that kind of fearlessness 
And it's also that very astute, off-the-ball closing down, you know? Like, every time, um, say, like, a Kingsley Coleman tried to go past, you know, I don't know, like, whoever was on who's whoever was at the right uh, on the right back position at the time um you know they'd have Lindstrom flying straight into them and vice versa you know you'd have Mario Goza or Sebastian Roda uh, any of these guys it, it felt as though every time a Bayern player tried to go by one player there'd be another Frankfurt player waiting to kind of step in in the way that that Dortmund team used to really really harass teams so I was really impressed with that um and yeah, again, it's very similar to the kind of Leipzig game. To be honest with you, I, th- I thought Bayern were probably did offer a little more uh, in terms of their attacking outlet, which I think is just because largely because they're playing at home, um, and I think Frankfurt were far more content with playing defensively and, or trying to hit on the break. Um, and you know, I, I don't know. It just the one thing that kind of sticks in my mind from that match is that kind of triple moting back heel. And it really makes me think that at the time I thought that couldn't be a clearer example of the difference between Bayern this season and last season. Because mm-hmm. last season, that ball would have fell to Robert Lewandowski and he would have scored that goal. And, you know, say what you want about how bad Bayern were playing, say what you want about how many chances Frankfurt scored. You know, you can talk about individual mistakes and things, but it's little moments like that where it's a very clear cut one player replaces another player. And I think that kind of made a good point of illustrating the issues that Bayern have this season. And I don't know, I, I'm still really genuinely quite torn as to any big hot takes from this game because it's very easy to say, yeah, Bayern were rubbish again, Frankfurt had a good game, but I also do kind of feel like Bayern coming out of that run of games without losing any of them, particularly to Leipzig or Frankfurt, might actually prove to be quite important for them going forward. Mm. Um, and I do wonder if Julian Nagelsmann in the back of his head thought, my team are playing really terribly right now. If we can just avoid getting beaten by Frankfurt Leipzig, then we, you know, then we should be able to just kind of stay on top of things or keep our head above the water. Um, and that's kind of how I do kind of look at it, to be honest with you. So I don't know, it's quite a lot of pros and cons for both sides to take away from it. But, you know, looking at the media coverage on Monday, it certainly felt as though a lot of the pressure has been kind of applied to Nagelsmann after this game. Yeah, I, th- I think that I, I think, you know, you look at these results um, there's this wild statistic out there that this is the first time that they've drawn three times in a row, 1-1 since 1978, right? The 78-79 season. That year, by the way, Stefan, they finished fourth um, behind HSV, Kaiserslautern and Stuttgart. Um, of course, mm. you know, that was a, that meant you were in the UEFA Cup rather than mm. uh, now a top four finish, of course. Um, still gets you in the Champions League. But it's it's still interesting that, you know, you, you go by the point total. I think um, they're on pace for, what, 71, 72 points. Um, and my takeaway from that is that there's other teams in the Bundesliga that can get there, right? Um, mm. And you look at this season there's maybe more than one even right um and we're going to talk about Dortmund in a bit so don't want to dwell on it too much but there's been Dortmund's bosses have always said when Bayern struggle we need to be there and we need to make the most of it and I think this is the year where you can really say that right Mm -hmm. because when you when you look at the projection 
um, of where they're going to go. And they're still playing all these top four sides in, in return matches. Like, okay, Frankfurt not anymore, right? That was obviously... But they've already gotten, gotten less points from Frankfurt in the return match than they got um, in the first match, which was in Frankfurt, which they won, right? Mm. Um, now they only get a point here at home in Munich. Uh, they're still playing Dortmund. They're still playing Leipzig. Uh, Wolfsburg is next. In, and you could and all these sides will probably look at this and say, well, it's not unfeasible for us to take a point or maybe all three, right? And I think there is, of course, you know, if you're the head coach of Bayern Munich and it's a results-based business, um, Nagelsmann making the joke about if he wants to see a crisis, he turns on the Heute Journal, uh, the news channel, right? Mm. Um, Yeah, sure. I mean, you can take it either way. You can say, well, at least they're still getting points. But on the other hand, the gap that is now just is so very tight. And I think what is the, the, the dangerous part about the gap for Bayern Munich, um, or what makes it actually interesting for the for the league uh, and for neutral observers is that it's not just one team, but it's potentially four teams that are all within mm. striking distance, right? And you all still have to play the majority of these teams. Um, so these teams then all will know that, oh, we can take points of them. Of course, they're also going to play each other. This is, a, this is the, the flip side, right? Hmm. But I think this this is a situation that is uh, potentially hugely dangerous um, to them. And I also think that it's almost unfair to, to criticize Nagelsmann for some of these situations because um, Nagels, it's not Nagelsmann's fault that Lucas Hernandez um, tears his ACL at the World Cup. It's not Nagelsmann's fault that Manuel Neuer prefers skiing over training um, or keeping fit. <laughs> Um, and it's not Nagelsmann's fault that Robert Lewandowski wanted to leave. Um, but I think those three players in particular um, have left quite a huge hole. I, I watched Sommer now for two games and I do think he he's a phenomenal goalkeeper um, or a good goalkeeper. But I, there is situations where he's just not as active defensively as Manuel Neuer was, right? And you would have had that decline with Manuel Neuer too, but I do think that makes a, a difference in the way that the club defends, right? Mm. And then I also look at Upamecano and um, De Ligt. And Upamecano, of course, he played a, a strong World Cup with, with France, right? But the way Kulumwani, um ran at him and used his mm. speed and his ability to turn on, on a small space really showed some shortcomings there, right? And um, I don't know. I feel like this this team is vulnerable. And I think, too, that Aldo Nagelsmann has, has some points to make and say, well, it's not all my fault that these issues e- exist. Um, he's also not finding solutions. I mean, I wrote my newsletters on Thomas Müller, right? And what to do with him. And so he brings him on and kind of plays this kind of the half 10, eight half 10 together with Musiala. And it's almost like they stood on each other's feet. And I just feel like that maybe the criticism, and I'm curious what you think about this, the criticism that Nagelsmann is receiving for his tactical approaches isn't exactly, well, some of it is because he's lost key players, but he's not exactly 
Bayern Munich invested 150 million euros in new players, right? Um, mm. And he's not, they don't know, hasn't been able yet to consistently find the best squad and build something with this with these players that were given to him. Yeah, without a doubt. My newsletter this week's actually on Nagelsmann and like the performance he's put mm. on for Bayern this season, whether you know he can get out of this kind of current predicament and. Mm. The interesting thing, is, the main stat that kind of stood out to me was that he's actually averaging 2.06 points per game in the Bundesliga this season and that's the lowest rate for a Bayern Munich manager uh, since 2011-2012 Jopp Heynck is at the club only one head coach at Bayern Munich has averaged a lower average than that and it's obviously Niko Kovac in his final season at the club uh, which is 1.8 but Nagelsmann's below every other season besides that over the course of the last 14 years, I think it is. So I think that really goes some way, or 12 years, I think that goes some way to just kind of showing how much there has been a drop-off uh, this season. And my kind of overwhelming thought about this is that he certainly des- deserves some sort of slack for the way in which he's had to contend with some big injuries and some big players missing. Um I think any head coach in European football would struggle if you just suddenly took Robert Lewandowski out of their team uh, and fundamentally didn't sign in our striker to replace him. Now, that might have been Nagelsmann's decision to sign Sadio Mane rather than a num- another number nine. So, you know, maybe that is something you should put towards him. But they're missing him. As you said before, they know the, the injuries uh, to the team. Some really unlucky ones there, obviously. Lucas Hernandez, the perhaps the most obvious one. But and I, and I think you kind of mentioned this as well. For every injury that Bayern have had to contend with this season, there's also two or three players who are perfectly fine and perfectly fit who just aren't doing a good enough job this year. Mm-hmm. You know, I look at that. I look at that entire contingent of German players, obviously minus Manuel Neuer, uh, you know, Leroy Sané, Serge Gnabry, guys like that, who have had extended breaks over the winter break and who should be coming back after that World Cup with. Mm-hmm a burning desire to prove everyone wrong and it's just not there. Uh, Kingsley Coleman similarly has been in and out of the team. Um, Joshua Kimmich and uh, Leon Goretzka struggling and despite that, I mean, I thought Joshua Kimmich was terrible against RB Leipzig and yet Ryan Gravenberg still can't get a game, Mm. you know? Um, And then of course, as you mentioned, this kind of bizarre effort to try and squeeze Musiala and Thomas Muller into the team um, continues to kind of baffle. Now, I, I did a video on Thomas Muller and I, I, I made it before Saturday's game and I was watching the game thinking like, well, you know, I have to be careful whether I should publish this or not because it's about, it's basically talking about his struggles this season and yeah. certainly didn't want to put a piece out or video out criticising, or not criticising, but kind of point out the struggles he's had if he had a good game and I basically decided that even though he did pick up the assist for the goal, I actually thought he had a pretty poor game mm. uh, and Aside from the assist itself, uh, he was very, very quiet and just looked completely at odds with that start, that front line. And that's what kind of, and that's the thing that kind of concerns me about Nagelsmann. It's not really, uh, you know, it's not like the remarks he makes on television or the way he dresses or, you know, anything else about that or maybe how he butts head with Salihamovic over transfers. It's the fact that I'm not really seeing enough improvements with the players that he has at his disposal. Um, it doesn't seem to me like he's he's taking what he's already got and he's making it better. 
Um, and I think, and and the way I kind of put it in the newsletter was that if if Bayern are going through this transition season, it doesn't feel to me like he's in control of it, or that he's the architect of it and he's the master of it. It feels to me that he's just another bystander like the rest of the squad, and he's just kind of rolling with the punches, which a good head coach would be on top of it, would know what's happening, would know what tactics to play to get the best out of their players. Now, there have been reports that, you know, whenever they lose games, he puts together these extensive notes and extensive you know, training or video montages explaining mm-hmm. in explaining in excruciating detail what each player did, did wrong and you know, the reports are that the clubs the players really appreciate it and they're like wow, I've learned so much but there's one thing creating this analytical work and and highlighting what the players are doing wrong and it's another thing yeah. coaching them to not make continue making those mistakes or coaching them to get better and I don't really feel like there's enough of the latter happening. And I think that's why there's a real kind of pressure on Nagelsmann. It's not so much that it's not so much that he isn't contending with the injuries that the club have dealt with, it's the fact that he's not making the most of what he still has at his disposal. Yeah, and it's an extremely deep squad, right? I mean that's a it's a very, very good squad too. Mm. Um, I, I think it's interesting what you are bringing up about the German contingent um that came into the, the World Cup, right? In actually pretty good form. And then, yeah, what happened at the World Cup happened at the World Cup. But um, then, like, the Suhu Serge Gnabry situation, where I still think is such an incredibly gifted football player and only shows it at times. And um, mm. of course, he goes to Fashion Week in Paris and um, is then benched. And I thought the statements made by Oliver Kahn um, after the Frankfurt game were quite telling and I know this was in response to being asked about Serge Gnabry but I felt like this went to maybe all the German players here's what he said Stefan we are having one of the most difficult periods in German football for a long time we got a (laughs) catastrophic results at the World Cup we gave the players enough holidays now we expect and demand performance when I know the timing is not ideal as a player I have to go out and score two or three goals and be the best player on the pitch that would have been the right answer. I think he, in brackets, Gnabry, understood. And now we'll see from him the performances that we expect. Um, yes, this was directed to Gnabry. But Stefan, this sounded like it could have also been directed to Kimmich, Goretzka, Sané, oh. um, even Musiala, right? I yeah. mean, or Müller, too. Um, that, that particular first part... Um, we are having one of the most difficult periods in German football for a long time. I think that's, I think that is a good direct and Oliver Kahn is, you know, anyone who watched him play and watched him perform on the highest level for a very long time understands what his work ethic was like, right? This is me. This is the CEO of the club calling out players to work harder. This is what I read. Yeah, typical Oliver Kahn. He doesn't. He doesn't really bullshit, does he? Yeah. Um, and that's obviously why he's so appreciated as a player, and probably why he's quite a good CEO. But um, no, I think I think he's spot on. Musiala is a really interesting one because of all the players in that team, he's the one who's having a really impressive season. He had a really good start to the uh, campaign to the season. Um, he was actually quite good at the World Cup, but in these last two or three games, I think he's been terrible. Um. 
and it's interesting. It's even beginning to seep into his game, but. I don't, I don't, I don't know what's going on behind closed doors there, but it is really interesting that it does seem to be this kind of German contingent, and mm. you know, it's, it. I don't really know. I don't really know how, or why it's happening. To be perfectly honest with you, because you you would think what happened to the World Cup would have kind of made a lot of these people kind of see the kind of sober light of day and realize that they have to work harder, unless. They all left the World Cup thinking, "Well, I did my job. It wasn't my fault that we lost. We just don't have good enough players, etc., etc." Um, but I don't know. It's 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 a it's a growing concern because at what point do Bayern then start thinking? Well, I mean, let's take Leroy Sané for example, who I think is just like your classic example of an inconsistent, tremendous talent mm-hmm. who on his on his day can look outstanding. Uh, and win games, but then he's obviously prone to going through these long periods of inconsistency. And we've seen it; we see it at Bayern constantly, where he can go through a six or seven week spell where he looks like one of the best players on the planet, and everyone's talking about how good he's been. And all of a sudden, you know, Bayern are in for a shot of winning the Champions League, mm. and then. He, he just goes quiet for a month or so. And the issue is that Serge Gnabry and Kingsley Coleman are the exact same. So, you know, Bayern just kind of have these rotating <laughs> cast of stars who go missing and come back and then go missing. And it's almost impossible to gauge who's actually going to perform. And the only one who's been able to do it consistently over the last five or six years are Thomas Muller and Robert Lewandowski. Yeah. Uh, you know, and as we talked about last week, and as you wrote about, and as I made a video about, Muller just hasn't been the same without Lewandowski in that team. And mm. you know, you can stick you can stick Chopa Moting in there, and I guess in terms of a profile of a player, he can kind of play the same roles Lewandowski, but he's not the same player. Um, and yeah, it's 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 like I keep coming back to this thought that it's just it's a big transition season and. It'd be really interesting to see what kind of conclusion they come to the end of the season as to who they want to hold on to and who they want to move on. Because if the club are going to go in the direction of someone like a Harry Kane and go back to the idea of of a strong number nine up front, you would make you would think it would it would be an opportunity for them to really clear the decks with that front line and sit down and say, well, you know he's going to be the star player up front for us from now on. And that means, you know, we have these three or four players who we want to play around him and the rest of you are welcome to, you know, look elsewhere for another job or on our club. Because it, it, I just don't really foresee a situation in which, even if Nagelsmann does stick around, Bayern can continue relying on these five or six players in attack. Um, you obviously Musiala excluded from that, but you can maybe even you can maybe even extend that to the midfield where, you know, Kimmich and Goretzka have been far from consistent, um, but continue to get game time no matter what. Yeah, um, I mean, I pretty much agree with everything you say there. Um, I think that you know. Even Goretzka is a good example. Kimmich is probably the more one of the more consistent ones. Um, mm. With Müller, I thought it was really interesting digging in the numbers, and he seems to be finding it really difficult finding chemistry um, without a proper target man, right? Um, 
and he does still provide an enormous impact on the field um you know but it's just that he just seems almost lost is the best way um i think this is maybe also a, you you mentioned this the target man right a proper striker um when i went through these miller stats i found that musiala although he's leading um in assists he doesn't really seem to have one outlet he spreads it pretty evenly. The most assists he actually provided to Leroy, Leroy Sané, uh, which is interesting too, right? Um, mm. But he doesn't have the one player that he can just find and like, you know, create these one-two situations. And he does a lot of things on his own and then just finds the right solution, which can be great, but can also be difficult when everyone around you doesn't fire, right? Um, it almost feels like he doesn't have a proper outlet. Now, Bayern Munich did sign... A player um, today from Man City, Joao um, Cancelo. Um, I was this came completely out of uh, in this case right field to <laughs> use the position that he's playing at um, because no one saw this coming. In fact, Hasan Salihamidzic um on the weekend still went to microphones and said we're done we're not doing any further business um now my understanding of piecing this together um Bayern Munich have actually been in contact with Gestifude for quite some time um a certain agent working there representing a certain Cristiano Ronaldo has been phoning the club on a very frequent basis Stefan wonder what that was about um maybe some guy who now plays in Saudi but anyways, <laughs> they had an open line of communication for some time. And there was a bust up between um, Pep Guardiola and Joao Cancelao, I think before the Arsenal game, right? Mm. Which essentially opened the door for Cancelo to leave immediately. Um, and Bayern Munich struck right away, made this deal happen, loaned by, um, have an option to... Uh, they, they loan him until the end of the season, then have an option to buy him for 70 million euros. That can apparently be negotiated down, which makes this deal um, a little bit easier to swallow. He's on 15 million euros a season, um, which mm. puts him in upper echelon around Alfonso Davies. So that's like, it sounds like a big sum, but it isn't really, right? Um, but what, what makes this interesting for me is that they're reacting on their right back situation. Um, I put out a tweet um, saying that he's an upgrade over what they have right now. And, you know, um, that includes Pavard, Stanisic, and I think Masuawi too. Uh, I know some people disagree and thought that they're signing Cancelo to um, get rid of Davies on the left. That's simply not what the plan is here. I'm sorry, but, um, you know, Although Cancelo, and I understand this, has played quite a bit as a left back at Man City. There's a reason why that has been a struggle. Um, he's very firmly planned in as a right back. Stefan, this is a little bit, you know, you look. I look at this player and I can see Nagelsmann doing the same trick here than he did with Angelino at Leipzig. Um, mm. You know, I'm not saying that they're the same player. I'm not saying that they're the same quality. But Cancelo is a huge upgrade on what they have. Um, but I also think this is an answer to the struggles of scoring goals. What Cancelo does provide is that pinpoint cross from the right that mm. just opens, slices open an entire defensive line, right? Mm. Um, I think it does, maybe to sum this up, this transfer, in my opinion, says two things. That A, 
there's a little bit of panic, right? Uh, B, they were able to respond to a situation that opened up, a door that opened up very quickly. And also C, they're now giving Nagelsmann a player that he wanted, removing a further excuse if the club doesn't perform. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think that last one's probably the most important one, actually, maybe. Well, maybe not the most important, but it's the most interesting mm-hmm. one to me that, you know, all these talks about whether he's under pressure or maybe, or maybe the board are getting fed up with him. Well, they've just gone out and picked up the player that he's wanted for, like, the last two or three seasons. Um, and, you know, obviously, if they are going to sign him permanently, it's going to cost a tremendous amount of money. Um, mm-hmm. I saw some, someone on Twitter asked me if this was... Uh, if this was coming out of the not signing Kane money fund, um, which I thought was quite funny, um, but yeah, like on the pitch, he's 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 a perfect answer to the problems in a lot of ways. I completely agree with you. I think he's. I also think he's an upgrade on Mazuri, um, and I think he also allows Nagelsmann to kind of shift to a back three and to play with two pure wing backs. Yeah. Uh, because if you look at Cancelo's stats in the Premier League, the most stand the thing that stands out the most is obviously. Um, just how many assists he's picked up and I think that'll be something that will really stand uh, in good stead for Bayern and he can also fill in at left back he can also even play as a central midfielder at times if he's had to mm-hmm. uh, but he can also play in the right wing as well so I think I- I'm honestly quite amazed that Man City have let him leave I know he's obviously a bust up with Pep Guardiola but presumably that bust up has come from the fact that Pep's just suddenly decided he doesn't want to play him anymore um, so, which is quite interesting, but I guess he's maybe just wants to stick with Kyle Walker at right wing back, um, and maybe just doesn't really fancy playing Kinsale as a left back. And and you know you can say we want about Manchester City, um, in terms of you know how much money they have and how much money they spend. When it comes to moving players on, they're actually quite good at getting decent value for these players because. They sell them at the right time. They sell them not when they're past their peak, but once they're mm-hmm. finished with them and they're still very much in their peak. So I wouldn't be surprised if Man City are very straightforward and say, look, we know he's a good player. There's so much we value him at. He's yours if you want him. And then Man City, we've seen that with how they've done dealt with Gabriel Jesus and Raheem Sterling in the summer. They've done it with players before. Um, and that's just kind of the way Man City operate. And it'd be really interesting to see how well he does it, um, Bayern. But yeah, very surprising move. And I'm sure... After that defeat, or not defeat, what felt like a defeat uh, against Frankfurt, mm-hmm. uh, Bayern fans will be kind of singing Salihamovic's praises uh, for managing to pull off another big signing. Yeah, if it works out, right? I mean, um, this guy could also tear his ACL or break a leg his first <laughs> game, and then, you know, all of this effort was for nothing. Um, I think. I don't want to say it's a panic buy because if you can add this sort of quality, I think you have to do it. Um, so I don't want to be, I don't want my words to be misrepresented here. Um, and I know that, you know, Stanisic is a hardworking right back and Pavard is having so many private issues at the moment that he's just not the player he is. And I think we see the end of him in the summer with uh, potentially going to Barcelona, right? Mm. Masraoui has um, issues with his heart at the moment, right, from an infect. So he is um, out in for, for um, a significant time. Um, I think, too, with Masraoui, although he has been a good addition, I don't think he does 
I think the club, there's a little bit of a disappointment within the club. And this is not me saying something bad about Masraoui. Um, this is simply me um, repeating what was what I was told and that he is a bit too one-dimensional for their liking. Mm. Um, and that in Joao Calenzalo, they have a piece that is a bit more depth, provides a bit more depth. Um, is also able to play more positions, has a bit more speed, is a bit more direct in his... Uh, the, the way he provides assists, um, the fact that he can play left back, right back, right, can play also on the wing. Um, I think this, these are these are all things that the club really liked. And this is also, you know, in addition to... They're facing PSG in the Champions League, right? So mm. they needed that depth and that strength on, on that flank um, for, for that particular fixture. Um, they're going all in in the Champions League this year, and of course, this could all end really early. And then they're having, then you know, the Christmas tree is really on fire in Munich. I can tell you that. But um, you know, this is the game that they need to win in the mm -hmm. short term. And I think too, what it allows you by having more speed on the right and more depth, um, like they have on the left with Alfonso Davies. Um, and also, plus, this is a backup for Alfonso Davies, right? Because Hernandez is out. You have to remember that as well. Mm. Um, it, it also kind of deals with the fact that you now have a goalkeeper who's maybe not quite as adventurous, right? So um, you have a little bit more, you have that ability to have a player chasing um, when your defense is once again too far forward. Uh, and you're, you're trying to chase down an attacking player because you're giving them too much room. Like they, it has been the case quite often against Frankfurt, right? Mm. So I think this is what they're doing here. Um, whether it works, we'll see. I mean, we'll see it as early as against Mainz in the DFB Pokal. This is another game that they, they can't lose. Um, I mean, the, the good news is they can't draw. <laughs> it's a win or lose situation. There's no repeat games in Germany like there is in, in England. So I guess that's, that's good news for them. But I, I think... Yeah. This is so reactionary in so many ways. And yes, that's how football works, but it is very reactionary in so many ways. Yeah. Yeah, only thing I'd really add to this, that is that, you know, we've got a really kind of interesting crunch match or crunch kind of period for Bayern in the next yeah. month. They've got, you know, you've mentioned they've got Mainz in the Pokal this week, which would be no easy game because I think Mainz has been quite good recently. Okay. Um, and certainly should have been Dortmund, for example, I thought. Um They've got Mainz, they've got PSG, the first leg in the Champions League uh, this month, but they're also playing Union Berlin and Wolfsburg, I believe, in the Bundesliga. Mm -hmm. um, so that's four really tough games, and you know, four games that they'll have to be at their best to win, and it'll be really interesting to see how they do in that, because I feel mm -hmm. like those four games could go some way to kind of suggesting how this season's going to pan out. Um, but yeah... On Cancelo, I completely agree. It is a panic buy, but it's just a really bizarre move where it's a panic buy that looks like it's going to suit Bayern down to the ground. Um, mm -hmm. Whether they go on and sign him permanently, I guess we'll just have to kind of wait and see and, and, and see how he gets on in the Bundesliga. Yeah, yeah, interesting. I mean, we've seen with Sadio Mane that this transition isn't always as easy. We see the transition from the Bundesliga to England isn't always easy, but it can also go the other way. Um, it's, you know, it doesn't always translate. Um, mm. especially if he is already a player maybe on the down we'll wait and see we'll have more on that I think later this week but I also want to talk uh, before we, we wrap this up um, 
I want to talk about Borussia Dortmund and this had the potential of them slipping up when there was a huge opportunity to close the gap to two uh, Bayern Munich, right? They must have looked at all these results and just said, wow, if we win here, we're within a shout. Um, in fact, if we if we win against Leverkusen, then we still have that own we still have a game against Bayern Munich where we can cut that lead ourselves. Um, in fairness, Dortmund did take points off Bayern Munich this season already. Now you know I, you and I both thought that Leverkusen is going to win this game, and when you just look at the naked stats, maybe they should have. <laughs> <laughs> but somehow Dortmund, for the third time in a row. Um, pull off a result even though they weren't the better side yeah I mean I must admit I thought Dortmund were much improved than they were in the two games prior to this mm-hmm. um, I thought the kind of balance they had worked a lot better obviously Emery Chan almost kind of slotted in as a third central defender yeah. uh, which really allowed Wolf to just kind of fire on down that right wing which obviously brought a lot of success for them, especially with Brandt kind of cutting inside as well and then Bellingham pushing forward from the middle. Um, and yeah, it, it it just seemed to work a lot better. I don't think it's a surprise that taking Malin out of the team uh, mm-hmm. improved the team. I don't think it's a surprise that bringing Sebastian Haller back in to start eleven, or yeah. not bringing him back and in, introducing him finally to start eleven, made a big difference. He's still not 100%, but you can see just that kind of focal point and the kind of almost gravitational pull that he has if you look at the goal and just the sheer amount of concentration that Leverkusen are putting on his positioning uh, allows him to basically dummy it and just offer Adeyemi a clear shot on goal Um, and yeah I don't know it it was was a really interesting game I really enjoyed it if I was a Leverkusen fan I'd be kind of pulling my hair out a wee bit because I can agree with you there were so many chances for Leverkusen Uh, it was a game which again feel like it kind of highlights the issue you and I probably both have with Musa Diaby in the sense when people discuss him as a top top player mm-hmm. um, because I feel like he does at times show this kind of inconsistency in in, in these kind of clinical clutch moments um, you know sometimes it's with the final pass, sometimes it's with his finishing, he's obviously great at getting into positions but um, I feel like yeah, I felt like he was a bit of a letdown today, or not mm-hmm. today, rather on Sunday. Um, but yeah, it 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 felt it didn't felt it didn't really feel to me as though Leverkusen had been robbed or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know Florian Vertz still isn't one hundred percent. I just felt as though I think Leverkusen really missed having Patrick Schick in that starting lineup to be honest, or even just any sort of striker. Yeah. Um, but no, it was a good game for Dortmund and. Unlike the other two games that I thought they kind of were very fortunate in, I thought they offered far more. I think they just seemed to have far more structure to them, and I'm not I'm not trying to excuse them because I know Leverkusen did have their chances. I know Kubel had to have a tremendous game to make sure that you know Dortmund left with all three points, but it did feel to me like there was a bit more structure to that to that team, and the tactics seemed to work for the first time ever. <laughs> mm. Yeah, Sebastian Haller, I think, makes a huge difference for you in the box. Um, mm. The Adeyemi goal is a great example of... I mean, that's the, the second goal in the last two games. He's kind of provided 
because um, I don't think he got an assist for it, but provided, let's use that word, because he was also directly involved in the in the Reina uh, winner against Mainz, right? Mm. Um, and I think that is, you can sort of tell now why they brought him in. Um, it is to create that space in the box for all these other attacking players that they have. Um, so in that sense, you know, that, that is the transfer. It's a transfer that that is sensible in that way. And I think we all kind of expected him to be that. Uh, um, I mean, we didn't think he would be that that quickly after uh, being diagnosed with cancer, mm-hmm. that testicular cancer and coming back. And I think, you know, the fact that he's now playing 60, 65 minutes um, is, is remarkable at this level in top games um, for Borussia Dortmund. That's probably the best news. And I think the best news too, considering that they had 18 games without him. This the key piece of their transfer window. And yet the gap to Bayern Munich is just three points. Mm. Somehow, it's just three points, <laughs> right? I mean, they must be just looking at this and say, we haven't, we might have a shot, we might have a chance here. Of course, the, the problem then is you look at the table and there's uh, another two clubs in between Bayern and uh, Dortmund that might look at this too and say, yeah, we might have a chance here as well, right? Um, which is ultimately how, how I think Bayern will be dethroned uh, or not win an 11 title. There needs to be challenges from more than one direction um, to make this difficult. But yeah, I think, you know, for Dortmund, maybe the, this is maybe with Haller now being there, and this is maybe like a final thought on me on this match, maybe this is the plan finally, finally coming together. What do you think, Stefan? Yeah, I, th- I mean, I definitely think a large part of it is so, is, 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 is Haller coming back and mm. the need to have a number nine like that. There's no doubt about it. Especially look at the way that Adeyemi and Daniel Malin have really struggled uh, over the last kind of couple of months in terms mm. of scoring goals and the lack of a real focal point. Even Makuku, who's had some decent runs, decent, you know, decent run of form for Dortmund at times this season has struggled to kind of be that target man and that's kind of why we've seen Jude Bellingham step up to the plate a lot of the time mm-hmm. as you know and we're not just talking about him shooting from distance or scoring on the edge of the box more often than not it's really him running in with those kind of diving headers and things which mm-hmm. you would expect from a number nine so I think Haller offers a whole I mean, even if you just kind of take someone like um, you know Marius Wolf for example yeah who is, you know, uh, you know, a, a perfectly decent fullback or wingback, if you want to call it. He's certainly much better going forward than he is defensively. But if you don't have someone up front who can play in the kind of role that Haller plays as a target man, Wolf in that Dortmund team is almost pointless because he needs to basically have... His entire game base revolves around those kind of big swinging crosses um, for someone in the box. And if for most of the season you're playing like Mukuku or Adeyemi or Daniel Malin, who are all what five foot four, five foot five, mm. then maybe not that short, maybe like five foot eight or nine, maybe. Uh, but you know, it's it completely um, limits Will's ability to do anything for the team in that game and for for the team. So even just even just using him as example. Uh, goes to show what Haller brings to the team. So it'll be really interesting to see how he does now that he's fully fit or now that he's getting back to match fitness. Um, I don't think he really excuses still a lot of things. I think there's still a lot of issues in this Dortmund team. Mm. Um, if you look at the XG for the game, for example, Leverkusen had a 
sizably higher XG than Dortmund. Um, so, you know, I think there's still huge issues with that defence. Uh, certainly the first clean sheet in a while, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but, no, I don't know. I, I wouldn't take too much from it if I was a Dortmund fan. It was great to see them have decent tactics. It's good to see them with Haller in the team. It's good to see the team play off Haller. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I still think there's huge issues in that that back line. And, like, people keep saying to me, like, oh, do you know... Um, you know, does this mean Dortmund's now in the title race? And I keep saying, no, they're not, because they, Dortmund will never be in that title race until they can fix that defence. Yeah. Uh, and I know they're only three points off it now, but, you know, we're literally at the halfway stage of the season, so it doesn't really matter where people really are this in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in, the, in the league table. So, sorry, mm-hmm. Dortmund fans. I don't want to, I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to put a negative spin on a good result. Uh, it, I think it's still just very much uh, a work in progress right now. Yeah, I had like people men- in my mentions saying that um, that like we've been here before with this table and it's been close before and it's not going to be a title race. Um, and I, I think it's going to be a title race because it's not Dortmund chasing Bayern. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's actually other teams around Bayern Munich and you go all the way down to Frankfurt who, who could legitimately put together a challenge, um, whether it's Union or RB Leipzig. And I had another one saying, uh, well, Leipzig haven't shown anything in the past that they can be a challenger and they've only finished ahead of Dortmund twice in the Bundesliga history. And I'm like, well, that's two times out of six times that they have been in the Bundesliga. So that's already quite good. But you look at that Leipzig squad, um, it's defensively much stronger than Dortmund, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you, you have the sense that there is more depth in the attack even with Nkunku out, they're, they're still getting all the results. Um, the, the run of form that they had under Marco Rose, the fact that they are within, what is it now, two points, right? Mm-hmm. Um, the, considering the way they have started is uh, incredible. Um, and so you, you look at all of these factors and um, yeah, they are the one that are probably going to be the one that challenges Bayern all the way. And they still have a fixture against Bayern Munich um, on the second last day of the season, which could be an enormous game, right? It could be a title decider. Um, mm-hmm. And I think that that gives them a situation, but that doesn't even exclude like someone like Union Berlin, who just don't want to go away, right? Mm-hmm. They just don't want to die. And <laughs> so I, I think that is what makes this so very interesting that, you know, you always put all the focus on Borussia Dortmund and we think, okay, yeah, Borussia Dortmund, they're within three points and they're a title challenge, all that. But I think what makes this constellation at the moment so interesting is that it's not just Dortmund chasing. Hmm. It's more than one team. And um, I always think of what Hans-Joachim Watzke said um, so many times. When Bayern Munich struggle, we have to be there. Well, here it is. They're giving you a wide opening. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you know, and you have been not stellar yourself. Um, but maybe one day, you know, it's not going to be there. It's not going to be you who's going to be ready and be there, but it's going to be someone else. Um, mm. And I think we might be in that situation. Yeah, I think it's obviously going to come down to how many points these teams take off each other. Mm. Uh, and like, even if you want to use Leipzig as a good example, there's no point in them wrestling a point off Bayern if they're then going to lose to Union or Dortmund or Freiburg or Frankfurt they have to be as imperious against these other teams as Bayern are because you know the the issue 
if you actually kind of look at the way that Dortmund have kind of fallen off Bayern over the last 10 years, it's not usually down to them losing the one-off games against Bayern. It's the fact that they drop silly points where Bayern don't drop silly points, you know? And I think that's going to be the key thing for Leipzig going forward in particular. You know, they've obviously picked up that draw against Bayern, so they can say, right, that's Bayern at the back of our minds for now. We have to make sure we don't drop points between now and the next time, you know? Mm. Um, And that's what's going to be really interesting going forward. These five or six teams who are now, you know, nipping at Bayern's heels, when they all start playing each other, it'll be interesting to see if if that kind of separates the real teams from the kind of pretenders and whether Bayern continues to drop points or if Bayern then start to pull away because um, they've managed to kind of avoid defeat uh, from the likes of Frankfurt and Leipzig. But we'll, we'll mm. see. And it's and it's really interesting and it's a great way to start the year. And I'm just, it's, 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 it could have asked for more as Bundesliga fans. So um, long may it continue. Let's hope it continues um, because it's been fun to watch. Um, not if you're a Bayern fan, of course, but uh, for everyone else, it's been fun to watch. And yeah, you know, the, the games come in thick and fast. We have the German Cup uh, midweek. Um, and we have Dan Dortmund against Freiburg. Um, next week, we have Wolfsburg against Bayern, which should be a huge fixture. Köln against Leipzig. Um, yeah, I'm really looking forward to once this transfer, transfer window is closed and we can actually focus on these matches. It's going to be a lot of fun. But yeah, Stefan, that's pretty much it. As always, this show is brought to you by Bet Online. Um, we also have the two podcasts behind the newsletter. Um, probably going to be a little bit of a different structure again, right? This week, Stefan, because of the transfer window closing on Tuesday. Yeah. So um, yeah, just keep your eyes peeled. But the, the, the two articles, uh, the newsletters should be out at the usual time. Um, yeah, yeah, I think any other housekeeping we need to add here? I was just going to say for subscribers who are hoping to tune in, uh, we're probably going to do the transfer show on Wednesday so mm-hmm. we can do a roundup. And then we'll do the extra show on Thursday so we can do a reaction to the Pokal games. So just in case anyone's wondering when they're popping into their feed, that's when you should expect them. Absolutely. Well, that's it from us for today. Until next time, auf Wiedersehen. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.